Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. So this week what I got for you guys is a story of an abduction from Alex the Nurse. We've also got Lynn Miller's abduction from 1986 and the 1978 regression tape of Bill Herman. Alright, let's get it. So this week, I was on Facebook and I got into a little bit of conversation in the comment section of Kathleen Martin with Raymond Hernandez. Ray's more of a consciousness kind of guy. And while I appreciate all the work he has done, including his work on Beyond UFOs, I believe he holds a bit of a bias toward non-academic researchers and people who are more materialistic with ufology. Now someone like myself, as you will see in the comments section because I go over it, argues that there is a physiological aspect as well as a materialistic. So in other words, we don't focus on one or the other, but rather the whole thing altogether. And that is from a non-academic researcher. I really took offense to that one because I put in so much work on this. And as have a lot of other people, some of the best researchers I know are non-academic. In other words, you don't have to have PhD in front of your name to do good research. So let me see if I can't just read it off to you. Double amen. Materialist ufology is still stuck on flying saucer photos, videos, crashes, and now balloons. Will these materials begin to discuss the UFO contact experiencers? This materialistic approach to ufology has contributed very little over the last eight years. Please answer this question. If we actually learn from this materialistic approach over the last 80 years, I argue almost nothing. Free experiencer research study conducted over five-year period 2013 to 2018 has contradicted much of what is circulating in materialist ufology. This is one of many reasons why materialism has stunted the proper understanding of consciousness-based aspects of the UFO contact phenomenon. Now that was Ray Hernandez, and of course I had to comment. Because I didn't exactly like that comment. What have we learned from materialistic aspects of the phenomenon? A hell of a lot. Now, people like me focus on abductees and experiencers. And what do we find? Very physiological effects that happen to them. And I have covered that in prior podcasts. But what I gathered was Mr. Hernandez more or less likes the consciousness stuff as preferred to looking at it from both ends. So here's my response to Mr. Hernandez. While I agree, it does have to do with consciousness. It also has to do with material. Demonstrating both through physical trace cases as well as the effects on abductees' bodies is just as much about humans as it is the euphonauts, not one or the other. We do not know the answers, even when speaking to experiencers or abductees, as I do. What did I mean by the comment? It has to do as much with us as it it has to do with the euphonauts. Do you know where I got that? From an abductee, one who I've interviewed on this show, John Yost. That has spoken out to me and stuck with me. And I love that he quoted, or made that statement. But let's continue further. So here is what Ray said to me next. As Dr. Alan Hynek, Dr. Valet, Dr. Mack, and Dr. Edgar Mitchell, and the authors of the book Beyond UFOs have stated, the UFO phenomenon is both physical and psyche consciousness-based. The problem is that the materialist ufology totally focus on the physical aspects of the phenomenon. This is why they are totally clueless regarding the complexities of the phenomenon. In my book, The Mind of God, I go into 
detailed discussion on the dual aspects of the phenomenon. So, again, what I see here is almost a delusion of grandeur to a certain degree. It's, I have the answers, you're all wrong because you focus on this. You focus on the physical. So here is my next comment to him. Yes, I agree with you. It's both. That's what I was saying. You can't focus on just consciousness or the physical. It has to be an all-encompassing phenomenon, not one or the other. Most people focus on the physical for a few reasons. One example, we live in a very physical world. And the only way to prove something anomalous to some is by physical matter. But no, both need to be looked at as a whole. And then I asked him an important question. I'm going to take a guess and say you're an experiencer. Now I ask that important question because the people you find that have this more consciousness-based opinion are those of experiencers, some of them. Now not surprisingly, I wasn't met with the comment afterward. Now of course Kathleen Martin stepped in and she praised Mr. Hernandez a little bit for his works and his book and then just pretty much agreed with me by saying that that was her findings as well. That it was both consciousness and physical. Which is the point I was trying to make. Of course there's a conscious aspect to it. Now when I went through some more comments, of course, he started talking about the non-academic researchers who were the ones pushing this, and then praised his book even more. The non-academic researchers are the ones pushing the materialistic viewpoint. Now again, from my comment, as you heard, some people will not believe unless you have a flying saucer in front of them. So why do people focus on the materialistic aspects to get somewhere in this very physical world and prove it is actually happening? Otherwise, here is my argument. If we can't physiologically prove these things are happening, what issue are we faced with? Well, I will tell you, a psychological one. If no physical aspects are happening, UFO experiencers, abductees, and researchers, then we are left with a psychological matter. That is the one thing that separates it from a psychological matter. Or at least rather one thing. Thomas E. Bullard pointed this out in his 1999 International UFO Reporter article titled, titled Abductions and Research Bias. How to Lose Your Way. Do UFO abduction accounts depict experience in sharp black and white? Or do the opinions of the investigators shade the picture, even to the point of distortion? Now, Thomas E. Bullard addressed this question in the sympathetic ear. Fund for UFO Research in 1995, a study of UFO investigators that grew out of the 1992 abduction study held at MIT. Now he took the survey responses from 13 abduction investigators, and the conclusions led Bullard to conclude that the positive or negative attitudes of investigators towards the abduction experience had little bearing on the descriptive content their abductees reported. Now the opinions and reactions of the abductees might sway in way keeping with the investigator's attitude, but what the abductee sees and what happened to them remain largely independent of investigator influence. So, you know, like John Mack always gets the positive cases, or at least the interpretation turns out to be positive. Dr. David Jacobs gets more of the hybrid cases. And Bud Hopkins gets the more neutral aliens. Although it isn't fair to say that not all three of them ran into the hybrid theory, because they in fact did. That's just the best way I can specify this. In other words, 
the core phenomenon stayed the same. But the people who thought they were demons had their own perceptions. The people who thought that they were love and light beings had their own perceptions. And the core phenomenon stayed the same, while their perceptions were the ones that were different. The interpretation of not only the investigator, but the abductee themselves. Now, I thought this was extremely important to throw in here. Because this is also happening again. Now, with all due respect to Raymond Hernandez, when it comes down to it, it is both material and consciousness. It is not one or the other. And at first, that is what he was trying to push. In my opinion, a little bit of research bias. Now, not quite to the extent of these are love and light beings, or these are that, or this or that. But to point out the fact that I've spoken to love and light abductees that really like Raymond Hernandez. I don't find negative ones that do. We can also take Nathaniel Gillis as an example. There are some people in the comment section of the videos he appears on in the podcast that do not like Nathaniel Gillis, but he has a core group that follows him and does like his theories. But the interpretation and perceptions are the key aspect of why we don't jump to conclusions within this phenomenon. Could they be extraterrestrials? Yes. Could they be interdimensional? Yes. Could they be any number of other things? Absolutely. There's a couple I've disproven on here, but you know, they still could be. It's not up for me to say because I don't know, and that's okay. But to state a fact that they are just consciousness rather than materialism, that is ridiculous. Our first story comes from the book the world's greatest alien abduction mysteries. A 32-year-old nurse called Alice had no interest in UFOs or sci-fi, but an incident on July 2nd, 1997 would open her mind. It was Alex's day off, and she was relaxing in a field with the sun's rays beating down upon her, when all of a sudden, she felt herself being sucked up into the sky. And what she saw was startling and remarkable. It was a huge triangular craft. And then Alex blacked out. She then came to naked on a table in an operating theater. Alex couldn't move. But as she looked down, she saw no restraints holding her. She then saw a number of small beings with big heads, like babies before they were born and they were all around Alex. She also noticed a teenage girl naked on a table as well. Then a taller creature with black eyes came in. And as the creature bent over the table, Alex had the impression that she was not supposed to see these things. And then she again blacked out. The next thing she knew she came to when she was back in the field, but some yards away from where she originally was. The book in which she was reading was flung into a bush, and she had marks on her arm. And strangely, Alex's watch had stopped. When she got home, she had realized that five hours had passed. After this, she realized that she had weird effects on electrical appliances. Alex also had difficulty sleeping. However, when she did sleep, her dreams were filled with aliens and UFOs. She also had nosebleeds. Alex was a young country girl, up until the point of the encounter, and then she moved to the city to have people near. Under hypnosis, she relayed her tale of her abduction with further detail. Alex claimed that the tall entity said to her to be calm and that everything they were doing was for her own good. Alex argued with the euphonon. Why do you keep taking me? The UFO investigator then brought her back to her first abduction. She was five years old, and a band of ugly children she met in the woods 
taken her to a large circular house to play. But Alex didn't want to because they were ugly. In the following year, they took her again. This time she had been examined by a doctor. Then at 14, she was out with her dog when she was sucked up into the air by a UFO. She again found herself naked on a table. Alex had samples taken and then had been told that she would not be able to have children. When she returned to the woods, her dog was gone, appearing a few days later, but the dog would never go near the woods. She was then taken again at 18, in which she was in a large room which was filled with naked women lying around on tables. At the age of 27, she found herself unexplicably pregnant. She was abducted again shortly after. She found herself in a room containing lots of fetuses in large jars full of liquid. She later lost the child and claimed that under hypnosis that the aliens had taken it from her. They took her again at 30, in which they took skin, hair, and fingernail samples. Now to give my assessment, this does clearly fit in with your stereotypical alien abduction. But of course, again, as always, I do have many questions. For instance, when she was lying down in the field. Now did she have an urge to just randomly go to the field as some abductees report, or was she near this field? Did she live close by, just go there for a nice relaxing day? Now another question I have. So her watch had stopped, which back in the day was very common with people who had been abducted or seen UFOs as an example. So here's my question. How does she know that five hours had passed, if that was the case? Had five hours passed since she left her house? Since she arrived back at her house from leaving the first time? Since, like I said, the abduction portion? That part is a little iffy to me. So the five hours thing, you know, you kind of got to take that with a grain of salt. She also claims that at the age of six, a doctor had examined her. So at this point, you have some form of physical evidence. Why have you not come forward with that? You should have a doctor's report, is what that tells me. What was done to you? What did you have? Because one of the odd things that we need within the field of alien abductions is some physical evidence. Now, arguably, we have implants and things like that, but that's simply not good enough. Now again, this tale does fit right in with an alien abduction tale, for sure. There's no way to doubt it. But actually trying to find more information about this case is something I couldn't do. I tried looking it up. I can only find it in this world's greatest alien abduction mysteries. So right now, it's nothing more than a story. Because we really can't find anything else on it. Now another interesting fact that I found with this is the triangular craft. So if you go out and you ask most people, what are they going to tell you about triangular crafts? Now I know some of you are screaming at the podcast saying that's a government vehicle. I would ask for evidence of that because I've never quite bought into that. Now another interesting note is the operating theater. And I've mentioned this in prior podcasts. Kim Carlsberg reports the operating theater, Whitley Strieber, William Konskaleski, and now Alex. So, interestingly, she has commonalities with most other reports. And I find that in itself quite fascinating. Now, I can't exactly write this off, nor would I. It's just, those questions do pop up in my head. But the biggest question I have is where does this source come from? Because I want the actual story. Regardless, it is a nice alien abduction tale that I thought you would all enjoy. Now, I do want to add a little discretion because there were some things that felt real uncomfortable for me to talk about in this next one. And may not be family friendly. 
although this podcast isn't supposed to be. Next story I have for you is the 1986 abduction of Lynn Miller. Lynn Miller was a Mennonite woman who worked as a waitress. Lynn had been the victim of numerous inexplicable events for all of her life. But when she was 31, things began to make sense. Lynn was driving to Cape May, New Jersey with her son when they saw something odd and out of place. A huge UFO hovering over the road near Tuckahoe. She stopped the car and was then taken and separated from her son. She was forced to strip and climb onto an examination table. The alien then looked her in the eyes and placed his hand over her head. As a result of this, she, fe- she felt an overwhelming sense of love for him. There was a strong sexual element to this as well, and a feeling of pleasure. The euphonaut then conducted a gynecological exam. Then he poked a large needle into her womb through her navel. This hurt Lynn, but the abductor placed his hand over her head once again and the pain went away. They then told Lynn they were placing something in her, but did not say what. Some time had passed, and Lynn was abducted again, and this time a long black object, like a speculum, was pushed into her to dilate her vagina. It had a suction cup at the end of some sort of machine. Lynn then felt a tearing sensation and told the tall alien that they were hurting her. This was due to the fact that he was the one operating on her. But this had no effect, and they continued anyways. The tall alien then pulled something out of her and placed it into a fluid-filled container that was given to him by by a smaller creature. She was shown she recognized as a fetus. The tall alien told her that it was her child and that they were going to raise it. Lynn then protested and told them what most people do tell them. You have no right. Instead of a remark, the aliens ignored the statement and simply told Lynn to get dressed after placing the baby into an incubator. They took her into another room, showing her a chart with names on it, and told her to memorize the names. Lynn was confused by this, but the aliens told her it would help them. She wondered why they needed it. They explained that there was a war, and she needed to know these names. She looked at the chart, but made no effort to memorize the names. But the alien then moved close to her, and she got the impression that he telepathically stored the names in her memory. The next thing she remembers, she's again back on Earth, miles from where she stopped, in a part of New Jersey she did not recognize. She got in her car and went back home with two hours of missing time. She also remembers being abducted at the age of six. Being a Mennonite, she was not allowed to have vaccinations and consequently came down with diphtheria. For religious reasons, she was not permitted to go to the hospital, but a doctor visited her every day. But there was little he could do. Her condition deteriorated for two weeks and the doctor reached the point that He didn't expect her to survive the night. During the night, Lynn remembered being taken by the aliens, and they told her that they came to cure her. They wound a tube around her body, and they had her stand in a strange machine. The aliens sat around her in chairs as a blue curtain of light descended from the top of the machine. She was told that she had been cleansed, and the disease was certainly gone. The next day, she was found up and playing the next morning. 
but the doctor ordered her back in bed for another week, although it was a struggle to keep her there. So both cases were very interesting. Now sadly, the book The World's Greatest Alien Abduction Mysteries is horrible with notes. And I say that because I can't actually track down the damn cases or find out more information because I've tried on both of these last two cases. And it's kind of irritating because I can't verify that they're actually real. Now I have to say, they fit extremely well with your typical alien abduction. But I still want to conduct more research on them. And I can't do that. So for the time being, they have to be considered just another tale. Until I can find some more verification. Now, our last little bit here. I have an audio recording. The 1978... Bill Herman hypnosis session. I hope you guys enjoy it. What happened, Bill? Well, the object. What object did you see? The death. I saw it moving. I pointed it out to my wife. Stay where you are. Keep the program where it is. Just relax. You're unaware of any sound other than my voice. It's moving over the towers. I can see it. Patty, I'm gonna... I'm gonna get a better look at this. I'll be right back. Better call Larry. Larry, it's back over the area. Right now, yes. Yes, I'm going up there now. You try to get on the other side. Okay, bye. I'll be right back. What's happening, Bill? It's moving over the towers. I can see it. It's about, I don't know, about a thousand feet above the towers. It's moving in triangles. I can't. Uh, what the? Uh. I'm gonna break my neck. Stop 
when I do get hit by a train? Wait, no. <laughs> no, that can't be. No. Wait a minute. What do you see, Bill? Oh my. The lights are strong now. They're flashing. On the ceiling, there's a light. Who's that? Or Bob? Wait a minute. They're not Bob, that's just the way they look. They're dressed alike. What are they wearing? They're wearing some kind of suit. Some kind of leotards of some sort. Are, are they humanoid? The backs are to me. They're looking at the light on the ceiling. They're looking at the... Looking at my foot. No, they're not looking at my foot. They're looking at the box. There's a box. I can't move my arms. I want to sit up, but I can't. My clothes are on, but my my coat's undone. My shirt's undone. Is anything attached to you? It's cold. Some kind of some kind of metal box. Flat metal box. It's cold, but it's not like water. Where is the flat metal box? It's on my chest. They're looking at me. Oh, God. What's oh. wrong? It's okay. What do they look like? They look like a fetus. Like what? Fetus. A fetus? Yeah. A grown fetus. Straight line. Look. 
mom lives. It's weird. Did they talk through their mouth? I didn't hear no talking. Where are you from? Who are you? Answer me for God's sake. Yes, it was broken once. What was broken down? When I was younger, I fell off a sliding bar, it was broken. What was broken down? My arm. Who asked you? He asked me. He who? The one on my left. He asked me. How did he ask you? I don't know, but I, I heard him. Did he use his mouth? Can you talk in his lips? It was intense. It hurt. Bill, Bill, stay where you are. I want you to tell me the questions they asked you when you answered. Do you understand? Concentrate on what it was like. Be still and concentrate. Very well. He's moving a box off my arm. You can tell my arm is broken by looking at the box. For goodness sakes, that was so long ago. Too late. Did you see their hands? Yes. How many fingers did they have? They're all the same size. Lengthwise, they have four fingers and it looks like a thumb, but it's the same size as the fingers. So that's a total of what? Five. Yes, five. Okay. All right, now you're... Go ahead. The hand is weird. Why is it weird? You can't see any creases or knuckles. There's no kind of... It almost looks like they're rubbery, almost flexible. Can they manipulate them very well? They seem to be stationary. They're stationary? I mean, they don't bend them. When they bend them, they bend the whole hand. All right, Bill, let's go from... They can't even be four feet tall. How tall? Four, four and a half feet, they can't be that tall. My goodness, this small. Look at this. Like marshmallow. He touched me. It's, you can, you can tell there's bone under there. But you can't tell, it's weird. What color are they? Very pale, very milky. Is it a skin-like texture? Tough skin. Everything's the same. No hair, no pores. Just skin. It's weird. How did you feel when this being touched you? He was very 
very peaceful. I have nothing to worry about. Alright, now what happens? We're walking. We're going toward the door. The room is weird. It's different. I don't see any strange. There's no creases, no borders. And it, the door is smaller than the back of the room. It's weird. It's distorted. Why, in what way is it distorted? I can't. This is it's like everything is molded into a shape. And it doesn't stop, it just goes straight out the door. Just molded. Like like a bathroom tub. Yeah, it's seamless. Just molded. That's all I can think Go ahead. We're walking, we turn we turn left. The one who talked to me is standing beside me. The other two are behind us. We're walking down the hall. We pass the room. The door is open. We go to another room. We go in it. The hall it winds in a circle. Everything is the same color. You said the hall wound in a circle. Did it wind in a circle up and down? Just both directions is a circle. It's hard to relate it. Did you traverse that? Everything's molded the same way. Council control center. Council control control the center? Council. Console. Cons yeah. Console? Yeah, that's what he said. Console. Control. All the network craft are controlled from similar centers. Network craft? It's the term. They manipulate gravity. No, they manipulate the equilibrium in the gravity. How? Did you ask him? In hydrodynamics, in reverse osmosis. Technique of reverse osmosis. They've been doing this roughly 50 years. It's uncomprehensible for me to understand. Why are they telling me this? Bill, let me ask you a question. Did they? at any time promise you or uh, tell you that you in any way would remain in contact with them? Speak it. He said that they have means Contact those they wish to contact. He said, We will meet again.
Did you say when? No. All right, you're back in the console control room. Now what happens? The light on the, the checkerboard is flashing on and off. First red, then white, then red, then white. And those balls to the left and right are spinning. One sitting at the desk. The one who spoke to me said that I couldn't go and look. And I walk, and when I do, the one sitting at the desk get up and step back. What happens? They step back. And when I move away from their desk, they sit down. Did any of them at any time touch you other than the uh, one who helped you from the table? No. They look familiar. You're in control center now, where the lights flash red and white and oh, red and yes, white. Yeah. Yes, he's motioning me around the room. I'm looking, everything looks Funny little writing on the corner of every block. That looks like squiggles, lines. Can you read it? No. It's, it's different. All right, Bill, I'll tell you what I want you to do now. I would like very much for you to move your time to the point where they release you. Just a few minutes right before they release you. Now what happens? We're walking down the hall. We've left the down the place where the propulsion was. The, the big round balls. We went in a little closet, some kind of little room. We walked back up like a diagonal hallway into a little closet. And the door behind us shuts and the one in front of us opens. But when you step into it, you don't see no door. It's, it's like the seamless or something. It's just, you can't even tell it's there until it opens. The uh, one tells me that the time has arrived. Something about the time has arrived that they're sorry for the stress that's going to result from our release. But those sympathetic to my experience will help, although the majority will reject it. They say we're, we're going to meet again. That's what he said, we're going, we will meet again. He motioned me on the table, and the minute I touched the table, the light on the ceiling starts to flash. First slowly, and then fast. And as I lay down, they step back from the table. Did they place any restraints on you? I just lay on the table. The other one, he walks to the table and he keeps putting the binoculars around my neck. He must have had the binoculars the entire time. lights flashing, they're standing there. Oh. Wait a minute. Oh. I'm looking down at my feet. 
You're looking at a television set. You're looking at a television set. You're watching this on a television set. You are watching this story on a television set. Look at the television set. Look at the television set. Describe what's happening on the television set. The object is leaving. It's going up. How can that thing move? It's going triangle. There it is again. You're watching it on a television set? It's going to the left. You're all right. Oh my God, where am I? Where's the tracks? Where's... Oh God, Daddy! Bill, look at the television set. Look at the picture on the television set. Now look at the picture on the television set. Look! Look at the picture on the television set. You are calm. You are watching a rerun. You are watching a rerun. You are calm. Now describe to me what you are watching. You experience no panic, but you see in great detail. You are watching a picture. I just get back to that yellow, that orange, that yellowish orange mark. It's the only place I'm safe. What's that? I hear something. Object's gone. Where am I? What's it? Time is it? Day is it? I can't get your head on straight. Height nor death nor soul can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world. Get a hold of yourself. Relax. Relax. It's over with Bill. Bill, look at the picture on the television set. You are watching a rerun of what happened to you. You have already experienced those emotions. You don't have to do it again. Okay. You don't have to experience panic again. Okay. There. What's that? A car. There it goes. I gotta get out there. Do you want to go or don't I? Now or never. I'll be here forever if I don't move. Lord, give me strength. I'm going now. I'm running. Tearing through the bush. I'm on a road. Oh, thank glory to the road. Straight. Hey, it's a car come. It's a car come. Hey, hey, stop, stop. Thank God you're here. No, it wasn't a car accident. Please get help. Where am I? No, it wasn't a plane accident. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Please. You're a policeman. Thank you. I don't mean to scare you. Please get a policeman. Get help, please. Oh, thank God. What if they don't come back? What if they don't come back? Stop. Another car. Stop. Yeah, stop, stop. 
Yes. Thank you. You're a policeman. Yes, right. No, no, no. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Just get a policeman. Call him, please. Thank you. Two people can't distract me. Yes? My name is Bill Herman. What time is it? Where? It can't be. Just a minute ago, it was 9.30. Where am I? Part of John. What? Wait a minute. That means, oh my God. I can't be. Oh no. I was standing in Charleston at 9.30. I saw a light in the sky. It had dropped to the river. I thought... Eric, I must... Who is... Yes, thank you. Thank you. Herman, call my wife, please. Thank you. I just expected the worst. I didn't know what to believe. And he said he'd been in his yard in North Charleston, which is about 15 miles from here. And next thing he knew, he was here in this field near Somerville, right out in, right in the middle of the field is where he said he came to. He doesn't really remember too much what had happened that night. He said he'd been watching a bright light that kept getting closer and closer. And the next thing he knew, he was here in this field, and he told me he believed he'd been brought here by a UFO. Listen to me, Bill. And, uh, Bill, you're floating now. You're back in the present, and you're asleep. You feel very good and very relaxed. How are you? Oh, I feel like I just slept for an hour. It feels so good. Yeah. I'm glad you did. Now, I don't think we need to go into the Bill Herman regression too much. Really? There's a lot of commonalities, modern abductions, and there's one thing I really wanted to touch on. And that was kind of how the hypnotist handled trying to calm him down by raising her voice when he got super upset. Well, that's not really going to calm somebody down. It's just going to aggravate them more. So she kind of went about it wrong in that case. I don't know who the lady is, but you know wrong way to approach it. Otherwise, a very straightforward abduction. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And with all that being said, I'm going to let you guys go. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank the Ghoulies for Hot Rods from Outer Space. And I want to thank you guys for the journey that we're on. This is episode number 50. This is a big milestone. I checked. Now, last year around this time, I had a thousand listens. I'm now up to 11,500. And while that's not too much, as far as a podcast goes, I don't think, that's super good for me. I feel the accomplishment that people are actually hearing me out and like to listen to what I have to say. So I want to thank my listeners on that. Because I wouldn't be here without you guys. Now I want to ask if you please review this podcast. Whether good or bad, send me your feedback. Just hit, hit it up on Apple or Spotify. If you want to get a hold of me, it's yahoo.com. Just hit up my Facebook page. If you might want to appear on the podcast, just hit me up those same places. Now next week, I'm going to be taking a bit of a break. So I'm going to be uploading a lecture from Robbie Graham that I Now this is to honor Robbie Graham. And also get a little bit of that out there for you guys, so you know. And Robbie Graham is. Mainly because I didn't get the chance to interview him on my podcast like I wanted to. Now again, I want to thank you guys for listening. 
Just remember the UFOs want to tell you something. Keep kicking it. <laughs>